Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Chris Lynch. And I'm Matt Croger. Welcome to a special episode with the newest UK master, Chris Lynch. Thanks for joining me, Chris. No, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Now, before we find out a little bit more about you, Chris, and the listeners can get to know you, um, we always do a, a hobby date. Uh, a hobby update, I should say, not a hobby date. We haven't had a hobby date, not yet. We only just um, getting to know each other, Matt. It's a bit yeah, e- exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're only two minutes in. Uh, so now that you've taken the UK by storm with your elf list, do you have something different on your hobby table? What are you working on? Um, well, I'm afraid this section is actually going to be very short because the answer is nothing. <clears throat> we've we've very recently moved home. So a lot of stuff is still in boxes at the moment. And, and funnily enough, most of those storage boxes are inhabiting the space where I'm supposed to be putting my desk for painting. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not doing anything at the moment, which is a shame, but hopefully for not too much longer. Well, that's good. And at least you, there's room in the house to have a space. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I've got one of the rooms to kind of turn into a kind of gaming and hobby room. So that's, I'm really looking forward to that. But, yeah, at the moment um, it's indisposed. Yeah, okay. And so, so gaming and hobby as in it'll fit a table in it? Yeah, it should fit a table. Well. should fit a table as yeah. well. I'm going to use it as a spare room, so like sofa bed and stuff. But yeah, it should fit a table for gaming. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I um, I remember the days of my hobby room pre-kids. <laughs> you know, now it's uh, uh, that, that was a big loss for me. <laughs> <laughs> but a big gain as well, you're supposed to say. Yeah, yeah. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. That'll that'll come and then, and then it'll be gone. So I want to, yeah, fair enough. Uh, for myself i'm working on uh my salamanders i just last night actually uh whilst you know watching our quite poor attempts at cricket in india i uh, was putting together um, some scorch wings so i think i put together three well sorry i've just clipped them i haven't put them together three regiments of scorch wings uh they're, they're quite a i think i've said on an episode it might not even be out yet actually that a lot of the the resin stuff for the the lizards is actually really nice. Mm. Um, I think the scorch wings is probably my least favourite so far. Not in terms of I know some people don't like the look of them, but in terms of just the attachment points of of uh, the resin are a little bit more obvious on the on the scorch wings on the little models compared to some of the other stuff. But I was also putting together some rhinosaurs, and God, they were awesome to put together. Really yeah, I've, nice. seen, I've seen those models up close; they are lovely. Yeah, and there's like barely attachment points you can see, and they just go together so smoothly. So I think I think the rhinosaurs are one of their best kits, uh, but that's part of the Aussie slow grow that we're doing too, which uh, most of our listeners won't be part of our page, but our Australian listeners were and uh, would be. So if you're not part of it, jump on because we've got about sixty-five to seventy participants joining in each week at the moment, which is pretty cool. But, you know, that's not the point of the show. Our point is to uh, learn about you know the new best player in the UK. <laughs> oh well you might say chris that you were always the best player you just hadn't won Masters. yeah i just hadn't started playing kings of war and, and now i have that yeah you know, my talent has been uncovered yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not so sure about that if i if i'm not uh, mistaken chris i think this is your first time on the show right we know none of the other guys have got you on 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, long time listener, first time caller and all that. Yeah. And so if you can tell us about how you found tabletop wargaming and, and what brought you to Kings of War. Um, I mean, well, my gaming, my gaming kind of origins are probably a very well-trodden path. I'm sure you've heard it from other people before in that I played Games Workshop games as a kid. Um, I've always been more interested in the fantasy side of things and the sci-fi. I, I loved The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, reading those books when I was growing up. And so I started with Warhammer Fantasy. I think it was the edition with the Lizardmen and Bretonia. I can't remember what number that was, but that, that was the one I started with with my younger brother. I fell away, fr- I fell away from it for a while as I got a bit older and t- other temptations sprang up. Um, and I dipped back in a couple of times, probably most notably in... 2014 so that was just pre end times and age of sigmar so i dug some i dug i just you know had the urge to paint had some time on my hands so i dug some models out of the attic and was painting away for a few months until uh things happened uh, i watched in horror as games workshop blew up fantasy and and just couldn't stomach aos so i looked around for alternatives um and came across kings of war i can't remember where i heard it. i think it might have been on some some old warhammer podcast not that i can remember the name but I um I heard about it. I bought the book, but then even though I carried on painting, I never got into the gaming side of things. So it kind of again after a few months, kind of drifted away from it. Um, and then fast forward to summer two thousand and nineteen, it was just another time. Had the urge to pick up the paintbrush again, and I rem- remembered Kings of War. I was like, oh, I wonder what's happening with that game. And just totally coincidentally, it was when they were about to release third edition. So I grabbed a copy of the rules, and this time made a really kind of conscious effort to to reach out to people and to look for games when I hadn't done that before. And so I came across Fanatics and just contacted some local players and, and got going and haven't looked back since. Well, at least Fanatics didn't turn you off, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe if, I'd, maybe if I'd found it now, I might not, have, <laughs> might not have been so enticed into the game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fanatics is wonderful. It is. Uh, and look, to be honest, it is a better place to be than it used to be. There was... Uh, there was a lot of a lot of teething teething issues when we were first getting into Kings. I think what I find interesting about that story, Chris, is um, often a lot of people go through me not being one of them, but a lot of people that we get on like f- fantasy to sci-fi and back to fantasy. But you sound pretty consistent with fantasy genre. Yeah, I, I mean, again, like when I was when I was a kid, I did get some forty k stuff. Um, I think we played Gorka Morka was the one I remember, which I really enjoyed for a little while, which is kind of like a small kind of orc based skirmish game. So I did I did like the sci fi stuff. But I, yeah, I've just always been, you know, I, I, I'm a history student. I loved my medieval castles as a, as a kid and things like that. So I've always been more interested in that, that kind of thing. Um, and it's just and yeah, I kind of stuck with that consistently rather than branching out into to, to sci-fi games. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and similarly, actually, you know, at school, uh, ancient history being my, well, my best subject as well as my favourite. Yeah. But, yeah, and um, even at uni, actually, I almost you know, dropped out of, of uh, physio to kind of to do ancient history teaching. But, yeah, I've always lent into that to that fantasy element more than the sci-fi. I think um, you know people. People people do both. Obviously, I know some people who play all sorts of different games, but for mm. quite a lot of people, I think you, you, there is one kind of true love, if you like, that you you kind of focus on, um, and that's always going to kind of pull you back. So I've never been tempted. I mean, this may also be partly because of the community, but I've never been as tempted by picking up forty k. You know, now that I'm an adult, uh, even though I did play it a little bit as a kid, like I've, I've I've never been tempted back to that in the way that I have been. 
for 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 Warhammer and then back and then Kings of War. Yeah, I think for a lot of us, it doesn't have that same nostalgia feel, does it? Exactly. Yeah, but although interestingly, recently that Mantic winning on tabletop's best um, miniature game with Firefight. Did you see that? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't. No, I've heard so, good things about um, Firefight actually. I've got a couple of the local guys have picked it up and they've they've said that yeah, they've good things. Yeah, so on tabletop being a like a big reviewing company and things, they gave it the best miniature game award. So like oh. it's when the, when it picked up that, I thought, oh, you know, maybe maybe this isn't just big fans <laughs> saying it's a good game. So I like maybe I'd be tempted. I think in the end I won't be, but uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll see. For me, like it's it's the headspace as well. So although I'm I, I see I see other people saying, um, you know, this game's good, this game's good that game's good and you kind of you're tempted to give it a try like i was really tempted when armada came out for example but i just mentally i've only got so much time and space for one game and so i think that that's part of the reason why i just stick with kings of war i I might be tempted by firefight in future but but it's i think the likelihood is for now um just just sticking with the one I totally agree with that. And that's uh, often when, like, I've got an Amada fleet. I've played one game since it came out, you know. Um, I've, I've, got to, I've got to move that to the, um, to the gaming shed at a mate's house where so other people can use it. Uh, it's just I really like the idea, but when push comes to shove, I, don't, uh, I just don't end up delivering on that because, yeah, and I, I'm the same. I think it's, it's just the headspace. I prefer to concentrate and just really enjoy one game exactly. rather than, you know, spread that out a little bit. When it, when it comes to Kings, Chris, what is it that you most like about it? I mean, that, that's a pretty easy one for me. I love the multi-basing. I think that is a, a great, I'd say, invention. I don't know if they came up with it, but it's certainly certainly a great thing that Mantic have uh, for the game. On the hobby side, you know, it gives you so much room for extra creativity with the modeling, and I love going to tournaments or seeing on Fanatics, as we talked about it. Uh, people who come up with these amazing, amazing things like diorama basing and and kind of whole armies that fit together and things like that, and that just wouldn't be possible without it. So I think on the creative side, it's great, and then it's just really practical as well for gaming. You know, the movement is really simple. Removal of units um, that was always a weird one when you played Warhammer that you when transition to Kings of War, the kind of the fact that you didn't suddenly have to remove. 30 goblins from the back of a base like just felt strange but yeah it just makes the gaming really 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 easy and simple and and also kind of practical for transporting your army around as well just whack a couple of magnets underneath and you're good to go so yeah i love it i think on all levels it's really it's a really really good thing to have yeah totally agree with those and i was actually if you hadn't said it i was going to say well that all makes it easy to transport too doesn't yeah, it? yeah yeah i mean we, yeah we've got a we've got a, a local guy who does mdf bases and it comes with already the the magnetic sheet underneath so he cuts it with the magnetic sheet on it so all i do is buy my bases from him they're already magnetized and i just chuck another bit of sheet on the bottom of a tray and off i go they just automatically yeah no more destroyed armies at the other end when you get somewhere (laughs) still manage that Uh, but but most of the time it's good yeah (laughs) yeah now, I, I haven't seen the army you won Masters with. I haven't seen any of your armies, um, but you brought up multi-basing as one of your favourite things. So do you generally enjoy the hobbying aspect of the of the wargaming or or do you enjoy the on-table as- competitive aspect more? Where do you, where do you sit with um, The answer is both, but I think if you put a gun to my head, I would say the hobby side. I do love the gaming, don't get me wrong. We've got a really friendly tournament scene in the UK, so it's always a nice social weekend away. And I'm... I've always been quite a competitive person. Like I played a lot of sports growing up. 
do board games regularly with friends, play video games and so on. But um, so, yeah, so so gaming is something I've always enjoyed. But the hobby we were talking about uh, earlier, like my, my space not being available at the moment. And that's quite frustrating because hobby for me, it's kind of like it's proper me time. You know what I mean? It's, it's personal. Um, I get to go and kind of paint away and model away and just switch off from the rest of the world and just relax and engage a different aspect of my brain. So it's kind of like a, a, a kind of safe space to kind of work in and just and just enjoy myself. And I think that that's why it comes out on top. Like I could survive without the gaming. I would be be sad if I didn't get to go out gaming, but I would survive without it. But I think the I'd always want want to be able to paint at some point, even if it, it comes in kind of waves of enthusiasm. I, yeah, the hobby I think wins out for me. That's something I've come more to over time. I think it probably is. I mean, I'm not sure how old you are, Chris, but as 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 we get old enough, when I say old get, enough. yeah, yeah. When 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 I say get older, you know, I'm not talking about you know not as old as Rob Fanuff, that's for sure. But you know, um, you know, for 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 those of us a bit younger than Granddad, it's uh, it. I don't know. I think it has become more and more like the time that I, I'm at peace, you know, and I have enjoyed the painting more and more. I would have used to say like I loathe the painting side. It I just if you could just hand me a painted army then uh then I'd be happy but now yeah it's 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 that time that I really get to switch off on yeah. a, on a given day and if I don't get to do it you know I um at least a couple of times a week then I start to get antsy yeah yeah no for me the the, the painting is the painting is 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 a is a fun part like a lot of people they paint an army so they can then go out and play with it for me I just paint when the unit is ready it's ready if i don't get it ready for an event i take something else you know i it's it's i I want to enjoy the painting side of things and i go at my own pace so so yeah yeah 100 percent. and i certainly don't paint to a list usually you know i just i I pick up what i think i'm gonna enjoy painting at the time and i'll just start painting and Mm. if i really want to take that army i'll write a list of what i've got painted And now, when it comes to armies, are you a are you a one army a year to play kind of guy, or do you like to change it up? What's what's in uh, what's in Chris Lynch's uh, toy cupboard? <laughs> well, I've got I've got two two kind of collections because, like I said, I picked it up again just before end times. So the two new things from GW at the time were Wood Elves and kind of new releases for Nurgle. So I've got two big collections: one which is kind of like an autumnal Wood Elf themed army. And the other is kind of nurgly demons that can be used as abyssals and and varangur and things like that. And but and so when I c- came to third, it was it was literally a toss of a coin. Like which army do I go with? Because at that stage, the I didn't have such big collections of them. But I was like, which one am I going to focus on, paint up, and and get ready to play with? And just I felt at the time just had 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 a vibe for the elves, so so went with that. So I've been playing them pretty much since the start of third edition which is what, if you take out the pandemic time, probably about two solid years of going to, to tournaments. Um, and within that, I've run all, all three of the different elf factions, so I'm not just limited to, to elves themselves, and I do like to switch it up, not just between the factions, but also kind of the variety of, and type of list. Variety is really kind of the key thing for me, otherwise I get bored, so I try and run as many different types of lists as possible. Um, and last year, I did a lot of tournaments last year, so it was kind of necessary to experiment and try and keep things fresh. Otherwise I'd have got tired of it. Obviously I'm trying to keep those lists competitive if I'm going to tournaments, but I'm trying to do it in kind of different and perhaps slightly unconventional ways. So for example, last year I had 
uh, an event. I ran an all nimble elf list. I ran an all infantry elf list at 3,000 points, which looked ridiculous. I ran uh, an all scouting sylvan list, which was, to, which to be fair, is not a kind of uncommon style, but I ran a sylvan kin list with zero inspiring units. I ran an all shooting twilight kin list. Even the gargoyles had the warbow of cover so they could shoot. Run an alpha strike list for Twilight Kin. I've run different mixed arms builds for all three. I've run the formations for all three. Um, so I've, I've probably tried, I don't know, there's only maybe like half a dozen units. So what, like 80, 90% of all the available units I've tried. So I've, 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 in the last kind of two years, I've kind of squeezed just about as much juice as I can possibly get out of those, those three factions. So it's, so it's 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 averaging kind of an army and a half a year, I suppose, or an army a year. But I, within that, I'm playing all three different armies at the same time and trying to trying to mix them up as much as possible within those three armies. So I, I do like, as I said, I, I do like the variety. It sounds like they should have got you on the Elf Army review, Chris, and we would have had a little bit less of um, <laughs> uh, all these units are bad. You would have been able to say all these units are usable. <laughs> there were there were a couple. Of, I have I, have, I did actually listen to it already. Yeah, yeah I just finished it earlier yeah. today. Like I'm, mm. I, I disagreed with a couple of things, but actually I thought they were spot on for most of it. So I, I they they all did. Uh, and you had three kind of different opinions for, throughout it. So it was it was a, it was a good army review. I, you should just do our elves every time skip the other armies just do elves yeah. and then do elves again in six months and then six yeah, months yeah. later yeah. and just keep doing we'll do a uk version of elves yeah yeah australian an australian version of elves and yeah, get like yeah. a european version as well just yeah. do elves yeah yeah it's funny i think like it's it's we always get feedback on the army reviews from various sources and like in the end like they're still just opinions right so you know people need to take them with a grain of salt and in the end i i've said this on a, a episode uh, with Tracy recently is in the end like list building is so personal too like he has a Jeff Trace has a style that no one else plays you know he their style of list of builds that but so he uses units that no one else does and it, often there'll be something that suits your style and you can just make a unit work for you even if someone else can't 100% just because it works for one person doesn't mean it'll work for someone else and just because it doesn't work for someone else doesn't mean it won't work for you like <laughs> As you say, it is personal. People can get different things out of different units in different armies, and it's yeah. So it yeah, but they're but they're a good they're a good foundation. Those 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 um, army army reviews they are they are helpful. I think for for new players in particular, they get a good idea of of where to start out. But I mean, I don't know. You'll know better with your listening with your with your listeners. No, I agree too. But yeah, and I think we'll see that when it when it comes to your list. But we'll let people hang in there because uh, you've got the formation in your list. I don't think a I lot do. of people take that, yeah. but uh, uh, we'll we'll come back to that. So it sounds like Chris that you know elves certainly sits up at at the top of the favoritism tree for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would I would say so. I would say so. Mm. Yeah, we've kind of covered. So you when you're writing a list, you're you're looking basically to keep yourself um to keep yourself interested. Out of out of all those play styles that you mentioned, is there anything across the year that you particularly enjoyed? I think I did. I did really enjoy, even though it wasn't that effective. I did really enjoy the all nimble list, um, and that's what kind of clued me on to the 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 dracon formation. Uh, the one one I really enjoyed was. Um, it was kind of like a, a mixed arms list with a little bit of shooting for Twilight Kin, and it used the formation. And I just I just found that really enjoyable. It also used Host Shadow Beast um, and Mikael before they changed the rules. So he oh, was yeah. getting kind of like 20. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit silly. I had about seven or 800 points in, no, more. yeah, probably about 700 points. About a third of the army was individuals. 
and everything else was kind of defense three. But um, yep. it was just a really fun, fun kind of mostly infantry based list using the formation and the blade dancers. That one I really, really enjoyed. Um, but I, I, yeah, there's uh, there's there's too many really. I, I play. I did seventeen. I want to say seventeen tournaments last year, which is a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, mate. It was it was it was too much. I think I'm going to tone it down a bit this year. I'm surprised you've still got a partner. Yeah, well, yeah, we might get to that later. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was so. I'm not, yeah, so there were too many really to kind of pick out one thing. But I did really enjoy that list. I did enjoy the all nimble one. That was a lot. Of fun. I, I think I'd like to get your opinion on this, given someone who's so I guess so fay with all three elf lists. I I reckon like he's expensive, but I think Mikael is one of the best written characters in the game in terms of how his rules like reflect. Yeah, the theme of him. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I would, I would agree with that. He's, he's an absolute beast. Um, mm. Even if you take out the kind of the silly shenanigans with the host shadow beast, just on his own, um, like he was in my, I took Twilight Kin to Clash of Kings this year, and he was in a couple of my Twilight Kin lists. And yeah, he's just, he's, he's an absolute beast. He, he's just terrifying <laughs> to, to an opponent who, who doesn't know how to deal with him. And yeah. Yeah, I really, I really like him. I hope he stays. And when they do the updates, Twilight Kin. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's interesting. I can't imagine why he would go away. Yeah, um, I think he'd be pretty easy to work into their new direction uh, with Twilight Kin. You hope, you'd hope so, but it's difficult to know. I, I mean, you might know more than I do, but I have no idea, kind of like what what they're going to be doing with them. So. You know, kind of fingers fingers across that that he will stay. Well, uh, not not a lot, but I just know that they're 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 going further down that night nice stalker path. Yeah, that would yeah, make yeah, sense. Yeah. That, that makes yeah. sense, kind of like logically, law wise. I think so. I, yeah. I, I definitely and, agree with that. Yeah, not necessarily like lots of night stalker units, but kind of more less bad elves, more night stalker elves. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, out of the out of the three flavors of elf do you have a favorite yes i i prefer the sylvan kin um it's yeah, partly i still think they're fun aren't they yeah yeah no they're, they're they're interesting so aesthetically they fit the theme of my army the most which is, as i said is kind of like a wood mm. elf theme so there's that kind of connection i think they are the pro- probably that well no they are the weakest of the three you know greater air elementals or no they are they are the weakest of the three and they are the and part of that is because they're the most limited because they have the most limited number of unlocks and so they 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 can't play as many different styles as the other two can. But I just I I really like their kind of the way I play them, which is kind of like hit and run, kind of I call it like guerrilla warfare. It's very hit and run, fast, fragile, high risk, high reward. Everything dies. That's why I took a, a list with no inspiring because you know if you're hit if your unit gets hit in Sylvankin, it's probably dead anyway. So it doesn't really matter whether you have inspiring yeah. or not, and I just, I, I just, I enjoy that playstyle because it's so much movement, and I, I've tried to kind of incorporate that as we'll get onto it into the into the masters list I took this year with the elves, kind of like adapt some of that to the elves because they have a lot of movement available as well. Um, so it's kind of using that that style. But yeah, I just, I've just always enjoyed those those ones the most. Yeah, I agree. I think they're probably like you say the least flexible, but I, yeah. I would argue that they they reflect their flavor the best in terms of what you've got available to you. 
Thank um, you, Matt. I, that's what I should have said. That's what I. That's what. Yeah. yeah, that is exactly why I like them. They do. They 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 click with the law. They click with the with with the the theme of the army. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I I like I sit down to write a Sylvan Kin list. I'm actually. Yeah, I've I've changed my. I'm similar to you. I've got an old Wardell farming, but I actually then just rebased it because there's some local guys that I like that dabble in sixth ed. So I'm not using it for kings, mm-hmm. but I might even because um, Mantic don't have a new range. I might even just like do a quick print of a um, of a Sylvan kin list. But like, I just love things like bosks. Like even though, like which can just be so good, right? But if you come up against any shooting, they're probably just going to yeah, die they before go. they do anything. <laughs> like, <They go. laughs> but, uh, but like I can't resist at the start of writing a Sylvan kin list, like putting a couple of units of that is those yeah. in. You know, I just love the the idea T- of take some of the take units. the formation take the formation for them the the little troops. Um, mm. When you can scout forward and then you have that wild charge, you can it really pressures the opponent in deployment, and it's yeah, it's yeah. really 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 handy. Along with the king who's speed seven who can scout as well. It's it's really effective. Yeah, yeah, they're good fun. Yeah. All right, so we might uh, move on to the the Masters itself, Chris. Now, I, I have to confess, not knowing a lot about how the UK run the Masters, I know kind of how you score tournaments because we ad- we adapted the scoring system that you guys came up with okay. to to our scene um, in terms of like the yeah how like what points you get for what place you come. Do you want to give us a rundown on a few things? Like firstly, how, how does one qualify for the UK Masters? So okay, I'll try try and summarize briefly as I can. Um, so whenever there's a tournament, the a UKTO can choose to, and most of them do, submit the results to the Masters Committee. So the committee is like seven people who kind of oversee all things related to Masters, and they administer the Masters website and the rankings. And then the TO will submit the results, and those, depending where you finish an event, um, whether it's a one-day or two-day event, how many people were attending the event, that gives you, that generates a score. I know you said you 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 follow the same template in in Australia. So, for example, like you'd have a ten person event, uh, one day event. If you win that event, you get seventy points, and then that gets put into the website. And then your top four scores for the year will go towards your final ranking score. And it's capped at hundred points for events. The maximum score is four hundred. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you do twenty events. You know, some people do a lot of events as we already established um you can do a lot of events uh, but only your best four scores will count and then at the end of the year the masters committee will invite the top 16 people uh, who are ranked um to attend the masters okay so it's purely done on like one to 16 basically oh and then obviously if people you know, can't come and gets passed down. So there's you guys. So because in Australia we have some like auto qualifying events if you win them or no. There's nothing. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. It's all to do with the rankings. Oh, I should say though, actually, it's so it's not just the top sixteen because the other way to qualify is if you are a best in faction player, which is mm-hmm. your top three scores, but they can only be with one faction. Um, and for that faction to qualify, you have to have a joint score of the best three scores of everyone who played that faction throughout the year to be 200 plus if that makes sense and then if you if you if you um if you are the best in best in faction uh, you have to take that one when you go to masters so if you don't qualify in, if you qualify in the top 16 you can take any faction but if you only qualify via best in faction then you have to take that one so for example okay. so um yeah. so if, 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 does that does that make sense 
So yeah, it makes sense. But who gets priority? Is it the top sixteen or the best in faction? So, no, no. So it's 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 it's, it's all together. So um, ah. this year it was sixteen, and then there were eight people who qualified via best in faction. Um, and I think outside of that, so it was a total. Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. So so oh, wow. the, you know the top the top sixteen will will hoover up a good chunk of those. But yeah, we still had eight people who qualified. I'm trying to think. You know. Um, who, Isn't that fascinating that they can be yeah. like best in faction with three tournaments? And well, I guess it makes a, a little bit of sense with so many factions too. But um, yeah, that, but that, that, that I, be such it, a high number that aren't also top sixteen. Yeah. So for example, I played one of the one of the guys I played was the best in best in faction for Salamanders. He he's a really good player. I played him before, and I think he he'd only done like four tournaments during the course of the year. So if he's had one bad result, and a couple of them weren't very big. So if he's had a bad result in one of those, then he's going to drop. He's not going to make the top sixteen. But mm. three decent scores within that, three kind of like you know seventy, seventy-five, eighty, something like that. That's when, particularly if not that many people are playing that faction, then that's mm. that's a, a, a way to get in because you yeah the trick is to pick a faction which you have like a couple of good players play, but they only play once, so they get you a nice big score to get you over that two hundred, and then. You just play that faction a lot, and you will then be the top player by by having kind of you know the most scores of a decent amount. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, so so it's a different way in. But I mean, they're all they're, everyone's everyone's a good player. Like some of those people, um, you know, just missed out on the top sixteen, for example. So you're talking about kind of seventeen, eighteen, nineteen stuff like that. So yeah, it was close. Yeah. Okay. And how many games and points was Masters this year? Uh, it was five games and at twenty three hundred. I kind of wish they'd had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two days. I kind of wish they they'd had the balls to do the same as as you guys and go nineteen ninety five, which I think is the I'll say on record is the best points level. But um, yeah, but uh, no, it was twenty three hundred. Yeah, well, interestingly, with the new masters committee, that's probably not going to be the case next year. Ah, oh, no, so, no. It's, yeah. We're creeping up. We're creeping up. Um, mm. More and more tournaments are kind of going to that twenty three hundred, which is which is good. You know, I, I I love playing at that level as well. But I personally, think yeah, I think um, I, I I say it lots. I think I don't. I I like quite like what nineteen ninety five does in terms of restrictions. I don't kind of. I know a lot of people say, oh, twenty three hundred is the most balanced. I I don't buy into that. I don't think yeah. there's actually data on it. Um, but I what I do agree with is I think at twenty three hundred you probably get a little <clears> bit more variety in lists that you can that you can make some other lists better so that the extra stuff people bring is 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 probably different. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think everywhere is getting that bit of creep up, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. And what scoring system was used? Ooh, so this is a somewhat controversial one. Um, they used yep. a new system. It's the Bull Run system, which is taken from a tournament called the Birmingham Bull Run, which is um, run by um, everyone's favourite YouTuber, Steve Hildrew. Yeah, so this was the scoring system from Steve and Mark Cunningham, right? As in Steve Hildrew and Mark Cunningham? Yes, not, not yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Interesting melding of minds there. Um, mm. Yeah, so Mark, Mark, Mark runs the Shroud of the Reaper events uh, down in the southeast. So I go to those quite frequently, and he's he was he's on the Masters committee, Mark. Um, so I think that the the, the the point scoring system was taken from Bull Run, but then the Shroud the Shroud of the Reaper guys they adjust the scenarios. So everything. Well, I'll, I'll explain how it works. So all the scenarios have a total of seven victory points, um, which are mutually exclusive, and that's it. And then you can get plus three points for kills, positive only, not attrition. 
and that gives you a maximum score of 10 per game. There's nothing for winning. So you don't get any points for winning the game. Don't get any points right. for drawing the game. It's only based on how you do in the scenario. So Mark, Mark with Shadow the Reaper, he's adjusted all of the scenarios so that they all score out of seven points. Because some of them work perfectly, you know, plunder or pillage with seven tokens or something like that. But others you need to adjust like dominate, which we played, um, has to be adjusted so that it reflects only seven points between the two players. Um, mm. Well, it's an interesting scoring system. It was, I mean, I think, it's, I think people were concerned about it because it's slightly untested. It's only been used at a couple of tournaments. And I was, I was concerned about it as well at the beginning. I thought um, kind of it perhaps rewards kind of margin of victory more than it does consistency of winning. Because if you can get, you know, a few big wins, that's going to propel you up rather than if you win all your games, but kind of six or seven or something like that. But it's supposed to reflect that, which is kind of like how well you win. And also it's interesting because it's possible to lose a game, but still, well, outscore your opponent, but certainly outscore someone on another table. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting one. Um, in the end, it worked, out, it worked out really well, but it was a bit of a kind of a surprise, shall we say, to everyone who was attending when, when they announced that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, there's always going to be love and hate for all the scoring systems, isn't it? I mean, I certainly know the intent of Blackjack was that to make sure that the person that wins most games should be the person that wins the tournament, that, like, someone that, say, drew three great games and won three shouldn't be that big a chance of winning compared to someone yeah. that, you know, maybe won them all. But yeah. I think I, don't, I, I really like variety in in scoring systems and things as long as as long as with something like that it's out far enough in advance particularly yeah. for something that's as competitive as masters yeah. right well they um, released they released the scoring system and they released the scenarios and the maps ahead of time because the scenarios mm-hmm. were also a bit a bit left field as well so 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 yeah no they were they were good about you know giving us plenty of warning so everyone knew what was coming long before yeah. this submission and stuff like that so so no that, that, it was it was fine and, and as i said earlier like and i agree with you like i like variety so i was quite happy to try something new yeah i think in general though i, t- I tend to dislike things that have to alter the scenario at the same time i think it probably in in some ways i think and it might not actually end up this way in practice but it can end up a little bit n- less new player friendly because you're not just picking up your book and which obviously Masters players aren't new players, but yes. you're not just picking up your book, reading it, and you're going, oh, that's how I play. Yeah. Well, then you need to put the overlay of the scoring well, system on it. Yeah. I mean, they, again, they kind of they had the scoring systems kind of announced in advance. And to be fair, Mark comes up with his own scenarios as well, some of which are quite bonkers. So he was relatively restrained for this one. In fact, we did use, we'll get onto it, but the first game was one of his custom scenarios, which is a really good one. So we, we did use that. Yeah, I, yeah. So we... I would say, so the, as I said, the scenarios, the scoring is adjusted and then three of the scenarios were not from the current rule book. Yeah, um, interesting. Uh, and again, they, they forewarned us. Um, but yeah, so it was, they really kind of like, yeah, tried, experimented, as we say, kind of like tried something different and went for it. Um, well, I do like the idea of different scenarios too. I think I, I'm currently in a bit of a feeling that I would love a bit of more of a change up to scenarios. I've, I'm getting a little bit, Board with the ones that we've got. Yeah, I agree. I would lo- I agree. Yeah, I'd, and they're they're just, um, I guess there's kind of three ish kind of categories of them, and they've been around a while now without a change up. So 
I think a bit, a bit of variety there is a good thing. So we've covered, you know, what else, uh, what was maybe a little unusual about the UK list. Was, it, was there anything else that was it? A- uh, no, nothing else that I, that I can think of off the top of my head. No, no, no. I think that was, okay. that was about enough. So with the 16 plus eight, did all those 24 attend or how many players? No, we had play? two. We had a couple of dropouts um, and then they brought in, I think we had three dropouts and they brought in player number 17 on the rankings to even it out. So it was 22 people. How many, is this your first Masters? Have you been to a couple? I did. Uh, I did last year. I did last year. Um, that was my first one last year. I, uh, again, using Elves because I had played Elves quite a l- most in, in my first year of Kings of War. Um, and okay. yeah. And what position did you qualify in for this one? For the Masters, yeah. Sorry for this one. Yeah, I I came first in the rankings last year, which was oh, there you go a big surprise. <laughs> it was not what I was expecting. Um, but yeah, like I said, they had a good year, and um, yeah, managed to squeeze just by a few points, but was just top of the ranking. Yeah, which I, I quite like, right? It's it's interesting when you, you like you said, you grew up playing lots of different sports. You know, you've got mm. the the EPL football there, and you come top of the table, you win, right? Which I think in is a good thing in terms of because yeah. it rewards the most consistent mm. all year. But then, like almost every other sporting system, you have this final system where the, the yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. necessarily the most consistent kind of NFL, team yeah, 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 wins, yeah. or yeah, or any of the football codes in Australia yeah. all play finals, even um. You know, even round ball soccer yeah. or football here, you know, has finals. Yeah, interestingly, the, the 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 top four at the Masters event were the top four in the rankings at the end of last year. So, although yeah. there was there was a slight switch around in the order, but but it, yeah, it was the same four people who's who's kind of got ahead of the rest in the rankings. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm guessing, like I I had a question about where most of your points come from, but I'm guessing with 17 tournaments, there were probably four wins in there somewhere where there are four there, almost wins. There were, there were. Um, I think I won six events, but the way the way as I said, the way it works when the kind of the two day events are weighted more heavily, and the bigger events are weighted more heavily. So just winning events isn't necessarily enough. If you win loads of kind of ten person one day events. You could win ten of those, but that might not be enough. I think the the lowest score was about three hundred. Oh right, yeah. So it definitely wouldn't wouldn't get you in four four by ten. Mm. So just winning isn't necessarily enough on its own. It's about placing well at the right events. Um, so I did win one, which was a thirty person event. So that was the kind of the full max hundred, and then the others that were the qualifying scores, uh, they were. Um, they were, I think, a one other win, a second place, and I think a fifth place at one because it just had so many people attending. So it wasn't even one of my best results, but it was, but it was, but it was high. So it got it got a lot of points. Okay, all right, and uh, well, let's move on to your list. Do you want to may- maybe just run us through the list, your elf list for the tournament for Masters? Sure, sure. So it was um, three regiments of Glade Stalkers, three troops of Silver Breeze. A regiment of silver breeze, a horde of dracons with brew of sharpness, the formation, um, which has two dracon regiments and a dracon lord, um, and the formation gives them all spellwood. Uh, the lord gets rampage d3, and the regiments get nimble, which is significant. And then the hero choices I had a mage with alchemist curse four. Uh, she was mounted and had boots of levitation. I had the king's champion and Argus Rodinar. So that's 14 drops, 11 scoring units, and 23 unit strength, all of which is pretty healthy for elves because normally they're quite, they're quite low drop. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think um, you know, having the I think the Silver Breeze troops being 115 is really useful, right? Um, oh, being, yes. And really useful being so cheap but speed 10 and nimble. <laughs> you know, it's so versatile. Yeah, no, 100%. Previously, I was running a couple of regiments of Silver Breeze in both Elves and Sylvan Kin because you felt a little guilty throwing away 130 points as chaff. But now that 115, they're, they're at a point where, you, you know, you want to play them as you would normally play them, but you don't mind just chucking them in at the end. And with the three troops, I, they spaced out evenly across the board. So that I've always got a 20-inch charge somewhere if I need to block up a regiment of cavalry that's coming in or something like that just to get in the way. So, so yeah, I really, I, yeah. I mean, Silver Breeze have been my favorite unit since the beginning of third. Honestly, I've, I've, I've always run them in elves. I mean, not every list because I've, I've tried different stuff, but they, they, I'll always go back to them when I want to want to create my my best lists. I just really love what they what they bring with all their speed and nimble and kind of annoyance uh, for your opponent. So yeah, they're brilliant. Silver Breeze. They probably didn't need the price drop to be honest. I know they did it because Scorchwings were were so good in comparison, but that's because Scorchwings mm. are undercosted, not because Silver Breeze were overcosted. So they they probably didn't need the drop. Maybe the troops, yeah, good, but not much. I was going to say may, maybe the troops. I don't think you probably. I think one hundred and thirty was probably a bit too yeah. pricey. But I'd, I'd still pay. I'd certainly pay one twenty. Yeah, for the troops, sure, right? If sure. they wanted yeah, to bump yeah, them a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting about this list. I mean, I'm sure. I think UK is a little bit more similar to Australia in that you probably don't see quite a volume of shooting. But I look at this list and I go, look, it's got like some volume of shooting, but it's not like it's a whole list of shooting. No, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what what I like is is you don't, it's not that kind of, I think uh, certainly at the start when we were talking list building, it would very be a ma- much of, you know, okay, what's the anvil in your list and how many hammers do you like to take, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got really only one what we traditionally call a hammer in the, the single quarter of yeah. Dracon one single Riders, yeah. yep. And the rest is, you know, chip from the shooting and obviously relies on good target selection for your shooting. Uh, so that's, I think, and then the the formation is like you, you, you come up along the wrong matchup and people can take your Dracons off really easily, right? Yeah, so I, I really like that this this list plays, I think, to the, the strength of Kings as a game in that it is a movement game. Yes, exactly. No, that's that's that is how it beats you, um, and that is kind of why I kind of up the drops a little bit and the scoring units a little bit. Perhaps you might normally see with elves, you know, usually it's kind of twelve, thirteen drops. Because particularly with the scoring system, with the scenario points, I wanted to have a lot of scoring and a lot of mobility, so I could get around the table and hoover up objectives um, late game when when I needed to kind of up up the scoring. I mean, it's not it's not my most creative list it's not reinventing the wheel it's kind of mixed arms leaning a bit more into the shooting than i would normally do but but what makes elves good it's kind of quality targeted light shooting so you've got your glaze dogs your silver breeze it's got high speed with the silver breeze and the dracon it's got precision hammers with with the dracons you know and and those are all the best units and it's got the archmage in there as well kind of job done um yeah and it is i did normally i would go with kind of a horde in the middle and two glade stalkers rather than three and I, I've, I've replicated that across sylvan kin with forest guard and twilight kin with the um oh what are they called 
the the blade dancer neophytes and so oh, you yeah, have yeah. like a central horde and then you have two glade stalkers either kind of both to one side or either side of it but in this one i decided that i just wanted the extra the extra shots just pump up the shots a little bit um and the dracons with the sharpness on their own are enough to kill a lot of things um and so you don't necessarily need and with the mobility of all the other units scoring for you you don't necessarily need that big horde to kind of trundle in at the end and kill something and sit on the tokens uh, because there's enough scoring elsewhere in the list that, that that's not necessary yeah i have to admit that over time i think all the scoring systems now i know our american cousins probably won't quite agree but support probably building that higher drop list or height yeah. scoring drop even yeah. if it's not like high unit strength and so I, that's how i try to build my list now to get to give that redundancy i, I agree thing I, yeah yeah. It's a major, it's a major no. weakness of elves, so you do have to kind of to, to work because everything's so expensive because you're so elite. Um, yeah. So you do have to kind of work around that. Another thing I love about this list, I'm not sure you you can. I haven't heard the recent elf review actually, um, but and to see what they said about it. But whether it's second or third, I've always loved Argus Rodenar. He's always been like one of the first <laughs> things in my list. Oh, Argus. Yeah, He's, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that, but I think that ability to throw inspiring and the fact that it makes the unit inspiring, right, yeah. and he is uh, he is also inspiring himself. I, I just love Argus as a unit and for 70 points, you know, to have inspiring almost anywhere on the board. Yeah, uh, so what are you Argus, Argus? Argus, I go back and forth with him. Like I find him very – I wish he scored. I just wish he scored for a few extra points, you know, make him 80, 90 points, maybe even 100 I'd take him if he scored. Um but so I, I I take him sometimes. I find him quite frustrating that you're paying seventy points just for an inspiring source that does nothing else. But but in this list, he does work really really well, and he works well for two reasons. One is because, as I said, with the scoring system and the nature of this list, I want to spread out. I want my little troops to be running away, picking up objectives, picking up tokens, scoring zones, whatever. And that little troop of Silver Breeze, all it takes is a mind fog. All it takes is one little bit of chip lightning bolt and poof, they're gone. And so he just enables your army to, to spread around the board, capitalize on their movement advantage and still ensure that the right pieces are inspired. So then the Dracon Lord and the, the, the King's Champion can still run around and not worry about necessarily inspiring key units. So there's that side of it. And then the other side of it is his... It's deceptive, but his little re-roll is actually really good because certainly with the, it, it synergizes really well with the Alchemist Curse Mage. You know, for that one one that you roll with your with your wound rolls, you get to re-roll that, and you're almost guaranteed to wound. And the other thing is key is that uh, the reason I gave uh, the Brew of Sharpness to the Dracons and not Boots of Striding, like it was a bit of a toss up. But the reason I went with Sharpness is because it gives them an additional. It gives the list an additional threat in that you can shove the Dracons into the front of something. And when you're wounding, sorry, hitting on twos with elite, you hit with everything. And so you can do 12 damage on average, and that will most likely kill 15, 17 units. So in a pinch, you can just chuck them in the front of something and bludgeon it to death. And if you have that reroll from Argus for the wounds, that just gives you that little bit extra reliability so that then you're doing 13 damage. Or maybe if you have a slightly bad roll, you bring it back from a 10 to an 11 or something like that. So it puts you in a better position to break that u unit. So it just provides a little bit of security. Yeah, or or if you had to be hindered, right? 
Yeah, or if you had to be hindered, like threes re-rolling ones, you're still going to hit with most yeah, because yeah, you'll re-roll yeah, a two. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, no, exactly. So it just brings you that little bit of extra usefulness. And he's he's also really useful if you're taking a a, um, a mage with lightning bolt and bane chant because you can use it on the re-roll for the bane chant. So you don't have to bring conjurer staff. I mean, I didn't bring that in the end, but but it's another example. I was going to ask actually if you remembered your re-roll every turn, <clears> but it sounds like you. Uh, I. Uh, pretty much. I probably forgot it a couple of times. The thing I forgot, which I, I also forgot when I told you the list, is that the, the Dracon Lord had the Mace of Crushing because I had five mm. points left at the end, and I forgot that for the first three games. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, that's why I hate those items because I, I never remember them. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that I like with Argus in terms of the Altar of the Elements, so the Inspiring Rule, mm-hmm. is that unlike a lot of the turns it's not activated in your movement phase, it's range phase. So you've already done all your movement, right? So you actually get the best time to pick where your inspiring should be. Yes, yes. It's yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so was there was there much in the way of how this list developed in terms of how you came to this as a final endpoint or did you put it all together and there were only a couple of elements that changed or yeah, um, how I did mean, it come together for you? Yeah, it's, it's come together really just through experience. Like I said, I've played elves to death over the last few years so i've just had so much table time with them that i know what i like i know what play style works for me um and i know what funda- like the fundamental structure of what the strongest list for me at least has been i've known that for a long time so it was just a case of kind of fine-tuning a, a few units and item variations at the end i had about half a dozen practice games with different different variations of the list just to see which one i liked um and then settled on this one. So there were there were a couple of choices. Like I said, like I did think about taking a horde of tool spears um, and some battle cats just for chaff. So tool spears with a hammer of measured force because I don't have bane chart in the list instead of one of the glade stalker regiments and, the, and a silver breeze troop. Uh, but in the end, I decided that I just needed that little bit extra volume of shots. So I had the critical mass to reliably remove a, a kind of hammer unit in one go. Um, and then the other choice was I was thinking about bringing in a second Dracon Lord um, instead of the Alchemist Curse Mage. But I just decided, because he's an extra scoring unit, it provides an extra kind of combat flanking threat. But I went with the Mage because, I mean, she's a, yeah, the Alchemist Curse, Curse Mage is a funny one. She's, she's a known threat now. Every, everyone knows she, she can be brilliant. Um, there are quite a lot of counters out there. Uh, but like I said, with the scoring system, I think it rewards big victories. And she's the sort of unit that if your opponent doesn't shut her down, is just a force multiplier, like can absolutely wipe, you know, munch through stuff, like absolutely wreck an opponent's battle plan. And because she can get all over the board and and target things at the crucial moment. So I felt like, although normally I would consider her a bit of a luxury rather than a rather than an auto include. In this situation, I felt like she just added something extra to the list that would be beneficial both the list structure and also the kind of the scoring system that we were using. So I went, I went with her over the Dracon Lord. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And with, what what do you think are the real weaknesses in this list? You know, obviously in, in any tournament, whether it's masters or otherwise to get to the top, it's, there's always an element of luck, whether it's dice or not running into a hard counter or, or things like that. What, what do you, what what do you think is the big weakness in this one? Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always hard there's always hard counters out there, um, but I think, well, one one of its weaknesses is also its strengths, which is the clock pressure. So 
both because it's so mobile and because you're rolling dice all the time, like it's very active in all the phases, it really eats into the clock. Um, so you have to be really kind of precise. Um, you know, you've got all that fiddly, nimble movement and stuff like that. So you have to be very precise and very concise as you're playing it. Otherwise, you, it's very easy to run out of time. Um, and uh, But that is also a strength because all the movement and the angles you can create put a lot of pressure on your opponent as well. So they're constantly umming and ahhing about which way to go. So it works both ways. Um, the, the other thing is it's, it is incredibly fragile. So the, the toughest unit is the Dracon Horde, which is one 15, 17 defense five unit. And most armies have you know multi, many multiples of those. And there's a lot of def- defense three with the Glade Stalkers, defense four with the Silver Breeze. So if your opponent can get to you, and that is a, is a big if because you're very fast and you're shooting them as they're coming towards you. But if they can catch you, the list will will fold very quickly. That I mean, that's that's kind of an, an innate weakness of, of elves in that tactically they're quite unforgiving. So if you make a mistake and you your opponent gets in with a flank that you missed or, or, or whatever, your expensive unit will die very quickly and suddenly you're in a lot of trouble. And then the other thing I'd say is probably... Um, as we said, it's only one proper hammer. And although, you know, across the Glade Stalkers and stuff like that, you have a lot of elite attacks, a lot of high quality attacks. It's actually overall, it's quite a low number. So you've only got 12 shots with the Glade Stalkers, seven or 14 with the Silver Breeze. You know, it's only nine attacks from the Dracon regiments. Yeah, they often get in flanks, so it's 18, but you do have quite a low low number of, of, of attacks overall. So sometimes it can struggle to kill enough things. Um, particularly if you lose a bit of shooting early on, say some counter lightning bolt or something like that. So you can, it can struggle to get big wins on the kill side of things, um, which is part of the reason why I kind of up the drop count so I could compensate for that on scenario. Yeah. So yeah, so it, it does, it does have weaknesses. And then if, if I can go on, <laughs> sorry, I just keep going, but there's, um, but they're also, uh, so, you know, kind of like things which armies have a lot of access to. So it doesn't like stealthy, obviously via veil of shadows, doesn't like armies with lots of heal uh, to recover those wounds. Doesn't like high speed and alpha lists, which can get at it very quickly. Doesn't like low defense six. So the alchemist curse went in partly as well to deal with defense six. But for example, there was a dwarf list at the event, which had, I think, eight or nine defense six units, which, yeah. So you're shooting those with, with your glaze stalker regiments. It's just going to bounce off. Like you're not going to do anything. And then the other thing as well is a lot of flying, um, uh, multi- like, you know, multiple flying combat individuals could be a problem as well because they can shut down the Dracons, they can shut down your Glade Stalkers um, and, and, yeah, cause trouble. So there's, there's plenty out there that it, it doesn't like. Um, I faced some of it during the course of the event, um, but, but I wouldn't say I faced any kind of super hard counters. There are a couple of armies which it really doesn't like and I didn't, I didn't face any of those. No, like I like if I if I picked two armies that I think would be really good to counter it, as you said, stealthy. So one would be Night Stalkers, um, although the low def, you know, when you've got volume shooting and and still be eliminated. Um, but goblins, I think. Yes, would be, yes, no, would that's be a very good counter. Yeah, yeah, especially heavy um, shooting goblins because those those war engines are oh, they're kryptonite to the dracons because especially oh, yeah. well fourteen nerve, you can see them over all the hills. They just. They're toast. So a heavy a goblin gun line is horrible for this list. I you, I, I, th- yeah. I think we're very lucky we don't see more goblins across the world. Yeah, to be there, honest. Is, there are I, there I think are they're really an exceptional list. 
no, there yeah. aren't many people doing it in the UK, to be honest. Which is, and there were mm. no goblins at the at the at the Masters. Not many people play them. Mm. I think. Um, I think. Yeah. I think. I think the thing is, is with them, is that their non-scoring stuff is so damn good. So, like, yeah, against any other army, you try and t- like. If you come up something good, you're like, okay, well, I'll just try and eliminate their unit strength first, right? But if you ignore the combination of trombones, bangets, wingets, <laughs> like it's just, and then there's rock lobbers at the back. You know, then even if you're taken off the unit strength, you're no longer on the board. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, it's horrible. The one, the one, the one silver lining of Night Stalkers being so broken last year is that they are the hardest of hard counters to that list. So yeah. it kind of drove the goblins from the scene. So maybe we'll get more of them this year. I don't know, but um, yeah, I think that was that well. Was the other thing. thing I think that I've found is like I think that's the goblin list as a whole, but also something like salamanders is reasonable because of the height four shooting so if you mm-hmm. can get some early shooting off and take out some things that are problematic then they can start to be a problem but yeah like you say night stalkers are absolutely the best counter so five games uh do you want to kind of take us briefly through them obviously you don't uh, need to go turn one to six in them all <laughs> uh highlight maybe just what you played chris roughly and 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 how it went down Okay, um, I'll, I'll talk about the scenarios a little bit as well because, like I said, they were they were custom ones. So, game one was um, a custom scenario called Hold the Line, uh, which is from Mark, um, and it's essentially a cross between Invade and Control. So, the sc- it's it's a unit strength based scenario, and it's got three scoring zones, which are twelve inches by twenty four inches rectangles that that run along the center. So, you've got one in the middle which is three points, then two outer ones, which are two points each. So there you go, so seven seven in total. And I was up against um, a gentleman called Cy Brand, who I've played a few times before, and his Ratkin. This is a really tough draw because uh, Cy, Cy was, well, I mean, the whole event was stacked with very good players, but before the event, I'd have said he's probably one of the half dozen or so that, that you'd think would have a really good chance of going five out of five and, and taking the whole thing. So he's an excellent, excellent player. Um, and Ratkin being a good list for the scoring system as well. Excellent list. I mean, he, I think he had about 16 units, something like that, and everything scored. Um, and yeah. I find I find Rat's a really tricky matchup as well. They've just got so much nerve to chew through, and it's deceptively durable as well. Anyway, he had... he had. Um, I can't remember all the items and things like that. I did try and think about um, in advance what, what people had. But yeah, I think he had two shock troop regiments with plague pots, two hordes of nightmares... Two regiments of tunnel runners with items, sharpness definitely on one of them. Um, three brute enforcers; those things are money. They are such good value. Two brood mothers, one of which, of course, had veil of shadows. Um, a couple of vermin tides, a wretch's hordes, a weapons team, um, and the tangle. So yeah, what's that? Two, four, six. Yeah, it's about sixteen. Yeah, um, really good mixed list. Yeah, it was. It's very, very strong, strong kind of mixed arms list. Um, I, I, and yeah, I find I find rats really tough. However, this this matchup normally would be very difficult, but the table that we had um, was by far and away the best table for my list of the weekend. It was very favourable to to shooting. So it had kind of a forest and a hill in the kind of back right. On, on both sides, um, kind of on the edge of the deployment zone. And then on the other, on the left side, at the back left, it had the, the, the blocking, the obstacle and piece of difficult terrain. Um, and then there was just like t- 
tons of open board in the middle. So Sai, I mean, this is a really quick game to describe because Sai, he won the Sai choice. Um, and so he picked the one which had the larger hill and the forest and he deployed his entire army behind those two pieces of the terrain in the back corner <laughs> and proceeded to hide for the entire game. I mean, really, he just, I, I think his plan was basically just to kind of not lose too much early on and then push forward at the end to claim the middle and 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 one of the side ones, which, you know, I, I, in, in theory is a sound plan. But I just kind of shoved all my stuff forward, kept my distance, shot at what I could, kind of chipping away and removing some units. And then on turns five and six, just chucked everything in, chucked all the Dracons in so that all the action was happening kind of just outside of his deployment zone and importantly, outside of the scoring zone. And then I still had units that kind of followed up behind to sit in the scoring zone and make sure I was scoring them. So, you know, I whittled down enough stuff that I... I, in the end, I did get maximum for kills, but and got all seven points because he just he could never get out of his his back corner, and then we kind of traded pieces in and around that area. Um, yeah, like you say, so, probably a sound plan against something that doesn't have so much speed ten, right? Yeah, exactly. Because um, I outcharged yeah. him, and the dracons could see over the hill. So yes, my silverbreeze couldn't shoot at anything, but the dracons could still charge you and hold you up. Um, yeah. Mm. So it was it was yeah, yeah. I, I felt bad for Sai because it was it was it was a. You know, he is a really tough opponent. He's a really, really good player, really tough opponent, and his list is very strong. I think he won three games for the rest of the weekend, so he did well. He did fine, but it was just a horrible, horrible table for him and really a kind of, yeah. So he might have been better off if he'd just kind of shoved it all in the middle and just gone YOLO and charged across the table and hoped to get first turn and not get shot off. But he's kind of he was kind of damned if he did, damned if he didn't sort of situation. So, yeah, I had a bit of sympathy for him. That's where I like things like, uh, particularly for a very competitive tournament, right? I either like any of the map packs, like the Epic Dwarf or Blackjack, mm. um, because they're relatively even, or where everyone plays on the same table each round. Yeah, we well, that's that, that's what they did. So we did all play on the same. We did all play. So there were five different five different maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't that our table specifically was was even, that would have been terrible like, for him. No, we all we all had the same one. And and they were a mix. Most, you know, they were all they were all pretty good. Um, and there were some which were. I would say there was that one was really favourable for my list. The second game was quite favourable, but then the other three were not great for me. Particularly game three, that was a terrible map. That was a terrible table for my list. So it kind of it yeah. evened out over the it course of the game. It was just it was yeah. just unlucky for Sai that it happened to be that game that he he caught a kind of a, a strong shooting elf list on. So yeah, mm. yeah, okay. And so that was game one, so reasonably, uh, well, a very big win. Yeah, I got, got the max two. 10 out of that one, which was, was a good start. Okay, and then uh, who'd you play game two? So game two was, uh, so this is a, a, a scenario from second edition, I think, called Occupy, which is essentially pillage with five tokens, and then two of those tokens are worth two points. So there's one in the middle, and then you each place a one and a two in your opponent's half, kind of start you know all oh, right not not then... not 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 center line like it is no now. no no no, yeah. no. Um, yeah, got it. so yeah so so it's and their objective so it's it's scored by again you getting unit strength on mm. it um and my opponent was a chap called richard laking uh also ratkin um richard's a club mate so it's kind of a shame that we were were playing each other round two because he's also a a very very good player um so i didn't really kind of want to be knocking each other out early on 
Um, and his list, his list is, can I swear on this podcast? Uh, will, will you bleep me? His list is an absolute yeah, you can go for it. bastard. Like it is a <laughs> effing nightmare, mate. It is horrible. So he has. Um, That's not even swearing, mate. Like No, 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 no. I'm just trying to keep it PC. Yeah, yeah. No, Matt Cox wrote to me the other day and he goes, is this a real like saying in Australia? And the saying was, we're not here to fuck spiders. I said, absolutely, mate. I just used it the other day. <laughs> All right, and then I've yeah. slipped it in there for you, Mark, too. But I'll yeah. have to bleep myself out. But yeah, there you well, go. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But this list would fuck a lot of spiders because it is <laughs> um, it is horrible. He's got so he's got four hordes of nightmares. That is the meat of the list. It's just like a wall of chunky rats that advances towards you. Um, he's got tunnel running regiment with sharpness. He's got three vermin tides. Again, two brute enforcers, two brute mothers, brood mothers. Sorry. Um, he's got the Tangle and he's got the unpronounceable flying guy, Scud, the demon something or other. And he's got the Scrying Gem as well. So it's only 14 drops, but he kind of he boosts it up a bit so he can deploy Scud where he needs him. Ah, oh, Scud. And one of the best flyers in the game. Oh, he's Scud. amazing. He's so good. It's the Lightning Bolt as well, just kind of like chips away at you so you can't you can't hide from him. Um, yep. Yeah, no, he's a bugger. Um, and I don't, I don't care who you are, like, how good a player you are the first time you play against this list you will lose it catches everyone out because everyone thinks oh this is really nasty shooting which it is but they assume that's the main danger when actually it's like it's a grind list like it wants to get into you and just soak up the damage re recover the damage with the brood mothers and their eat the weak um and just kind of grind you down and everything you know everything rallies so all those hordes are kind of 16 18 all the time um, and again, as rats, it plays scenario brilliantly because he's got all scoring drops, um, it, and it's quite a good counter to my list as well because those nightmares will wreck Glade Stalkers once they get into range. The defense three just doesn't stand up to it. They're shooting all combat. Um, yep. So yeah, so it was a tough one. And as I say, Richard is 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 an excellent player and another one of the the people who I thought would yeah be be in contention for for winning. And he did in in the end. He battered everyone else he played and came second. So he, yeah, he was, <laughs> yeah, he did he did well. So so the tokens are spread out kind of about across about two thirds of the board. So most of the terrain was on the left side. So again, it was reasonably favourable for shooting. And I placed my tokens out in the open, so he basically couldn't hide on them and, and score them at the end. Um, and I deployed my glade stalkers. I didn't really talk when I talked about the list. I didn't really talk about how I. I deploy it, did I? So no. I just I just mentioned that because the way that the way the list deploys is it basically deploys symmetrically across my zone. So I put a Dracon regiment uh, with a Silver Breeze troop behind it on both kind of far flanks, and then Argus goes on one side, the Dracon Lord goes on the other, and then in the middle you have a Silver Breeze troop, the Dracon horde behind them, kind of covering the whole board, and the King's Champion for the Inspiring. So you put down about nine drops, and sometimes you can put Glade Stalks in the middle as well nine drops before you even kind of think about which side you're going to commit to. And then the Glade Stalkers and the Silver Breeze go down at the end. So it's kind of deployed the same way both sides, and I can play the game uh, the same way uh, in either half of the table um, until late. So you get a good idea of where your opponent is 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 placing before you you finish off. Um, and so I have my Glade Stalkers in the middle, and that's and kind of concentrating my shooting a little bit on the left side. And then he started his army basically slightly left of center and just spread it along towards the right flank. So we're kind of stronger sides kind of coming round from opposite sides of the table. And I got first turn, which was 
probably the most significant dice roll of the entire weekend uh, because it enabled me to start piling in the shooting, which you have to do against Richards. You have to remove those those units of, of those hordes of nightmares in one go. Um, and so I shot off one on the left and then pushed up the Dracons to kind of threaten that side. And I held back on the other side where he's had Scud. I'd say like the key, the key, the key things in this game were turn two, I had a very big decision to make. I had the option to charge the sharpness Dracons into the front of a nightmare horde with concentrate all my shooting on the other hordes next to it uh, to shoot it off. And there would have been nothing to charge the Dracons except a Vermintide Swarm in the flank after a reposition. So it's a bit of a risk. But as I said earlier with Argus's reroll, I, it should average kind of 12 to 13 wounds. So I took that and I did kill them. So I had my Dracons right in the middle of the board facing across his line with nothing to charge them and stop them really, um, apart from those Vermintides. And in response to that, Richard took a really big gamble and he, instead of charging them, he opted to shoot them with one Nightmare Horde and two Broodmothers. Um, and if he didn't get at least a waiver, they would have going to charge off and kill the Tunnel Runners um, and it would have basically been game over. He only did six damage. And then he rolled an 11 for the nerve and I had inspired them with Argus. And then he rolled an 11 and took them off. And Ouch. yeah, that was, that was a really kind of switch. That was a big swing in the game because if he hadn't done that, then they were free to kind of go off and, and yeah, murder, murder some important units. Um, so that I, I was like, I I'm going to get on top here. And then it, in the end, I'm trading one unit for another, but by losing my one big hammer, that, that, loses a, a huge threat in the middle of the board so it enabled him to then move forward more and then the other significant one was on the ro- very far right flank i backed up my dracon regiment and said charge them with scud because rather than, if i charged them forward it would have brought his tunnel runners in because they'd have been able to charge back at the dracon so i just said right you can come and charge me and push them right to the back of the board and he sent scud in um and didn't kill them. I think he's, he's, you know, it's less than a 50-50 for him to kill them. So it's not great odds, but, you know, that he could easily have done it. Um, and so that kept Scud out of the game for four turns because he had his first turn moving, second turn charging, third turn to finish them off. And then at that point, I'd moved stuff away. So the fourth turn, there was no available charge for him. And so in the end, he just went and sat on a two-point token that was at the back of, in that corner um and and just shot a bit with lightning bolts so he didn't see any other combat for the rest of the game which like yes richard scored the two-point objective there but it was one of those situations where i was kind of we were both happy to accept that trade because he's scoring but i've taken out his most dangerous piece and i'm not having to deal with it yeah so but in the end because i was able to remove a lot of the, the the hordes quite quickly i had enough stuff at the end to kind of win safely with a four three or by about turn five i think but I and credit to the scoring system because it kicked in here. I felt like I wanted to push for a bigger win, so I committed units to kind of threaten a one-point objective at the back and um, and to go and get Scud. And then, because I'm an idiot, I ran out of time, so I didn't even have time to to charge Scud and take him off and get the two. And yeah. by sending, I sent some Dracons over there. I sent the Dracon Lord over to get the one point. And by doing that, I and failing to kill his Tangle. He had his final turn. He had a shot on my silver breeze that were on the other two pointer, um, and he did he drain life them with the broodmother. He shot them with fireball with a tangle, and he needed an eight twice to kill them. And fortunately for me, he didn't do it. But if he had done that, it would have swung from a, a five-two win on the objectives to me to a four-three to to Richard. So it was in the end, it was a very very close game. Um, and I was quite, I mean, you know, 
I got seven points out of it in total with the kills, but it, it could have easily swung the other way. Yeah, it was it was it was a it was a tough one, a really tough one. But always a good game with Richard. He's an excellent opponent. He had about thirty minutes on his clock as well. Richard is Richard is like the fastest player you will ever play against, and that's quite disorienting for, for people. So I'm kind of like struggling with my last minute to try and fit everything in, and he's just like, "Yeah, it's fine. We've got got thirty minutes left. No problem." Bastard. That has you two and out. Yeah, so two wins, but as but as I say, the wins don't matter. It's it's what you get out of the scenario. So it was seventeen. Yep. I was on out of twenty after two games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then who was game three? Uh, game three. Uh, game three was the Salamander player I mentioned earlier, a chap called Steve, mm-hmm. and we were playing dominates, kind of standard dominates with slightly adjusted scoring um, to account for how much unit strength you had in at the end. And Steve had a horde of tyrants. He had a horde of rhino cavalry and a horde of fire elementals. And there were some items on those guys I can't remember across those three. He had a greater fire elemental. He had a mage with surge and ugh, veil of shadows. Um, he had a scorching regiment. He had two phoenixes, so lots of heal. Those phoenixes are so good. Seriously, like they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of them this year, I think. Then he had, Great. yeah, they're, no, they're really, really good. Then the formation, which is two regiments of salamander primes and a kind of lesser combat character and they all get scout and stealthy yay um and then he had a little gakota hero with the gnome glass shield and that thing also scouts with speed seven um and finally he had uh something called rakawas which is like um it's a hero titan living legend it's only speed six but it does have nimble and it's got a, mon- a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got it's got twelve attacks, I think, which is which is good on threes, which is good. And he's got mega nerve as well. He's got eighteen twenty nerve on a Titan base. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a beat stick. Um, so yeah, this was this was a really tough one. So this was tons of stealthy scout. He had a lot of scouts, so he could pressure my deployment. He had tons of heal to remove what the shoot what shooting got through. And he had decent mid range shooting himself, and good unit strength, and some hard hitting hammer. So it was a really tough one. And and also the map, this was by far the worst. Having had a great map for round one, this map for round three was really, really difficult for my list. So there were some, you know, big pieces of terrain obscuring my my shooting lanes and line of sight right in the middle. Uh, had a big forest, a hill, and there was a piece of blocking as well, all kind of spaced around there, and then other stuff quite close by. And And Steve, he won choice of size and he was able to deploy literally everything in cover. Like the only shots I had return one were against the stealthy uh, Salamander primes in cover. So sixes and fives. Um, and he actually deployed quite a lot of his stuff on the back of the board. So he couldn't, so I couldn't even touch them early on. Yeah. So it was on paper, it was a really, really kind of disadvantageous matchup. This one, probably the worst one. And it was a very, very close game in the end. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was, <sighs> It was a bit of a slow burner because Steve, because he held back, and I get what he was doing with his deployment because he made it really difficult for me to shoot him. But he held back, I think, one turn too long. So I obviously kind of pushed forward as much as I could and kind of shot round things to get at him. And we both had the stronger side was on to my left, his right, um, where he had all his hammers. But I, I was able to push forward, and my, and they were all behind a hill, so I couldn't shoot them easily, but I could see them with the dracons. So I always had the option to charge. And late in the game, I did charge in and basically pinned them back so that they then couldn't get into the into the um, the dominate zone in the middle. But my shooting was was really pretty ineffective throughout. He did he did deploy very nicely to kind of prevent that. And he put his fire elementals on the same flank as the AC mage, the alchemist curse mage, and held 
held them back so she couldn't get around them without threat of surge so kind of held her off and then on on the right side i had my i got my dracons around the back but he shot them with the silver breeze and a bit of fireball from the elemental and wavered them and then killed them with the scorch ring so i couldn't get around him on that side i think the key thing was kind of about turn four charged in the middle uh killed his greater fire elemental with my dracon horde with a flank charge and I flanked the Phoenix with Silver Breeze Regiment and a troop, and I killed both of those. And I caught Steve out because he had Rakawas covering them, but I shoved the King's Champion into him, and the King's Champion has Phalanx. So he then couldn't use his Nimble to get around and charge the other two units. However, the Silver Breeze, sorry, the Scorchwing unit that was hanging out on, on the right flank that had just killed the Dracons, it was heavily damaged, it was on like eight or nine wounds, shot at it, didn't do any wounds. So when the, the, the Dracons in the middle then couldn't reposition back the other way without giving them a rear charge. So I wasted a turn with the Dracons kind of repositioning um, and they weren't able to kill anything else for the rest of the game. They got one more charge, but they, they whiffed and, and didn't kill a Salamander Prime Regiment. So like I said, on the left, I kind of held him back by charging in late. And then in the middle, I finally killed Rakawas with the King's Champion. I got a rear charge with the Dracon Lord that came in from the left side. But Steve still had his Rhino Cav in there and he still had his Salamander Primes in there. And I had Regiment of Glade Stalkers and the Dracons. And then I also had the, the Dracon Lord and the Silverbreeze Troops. So it was very, very close. It was only 8-6 on unit strength at the end of turn 6. If we'd had a turn 7, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have had a good shot at, at clearing out everything and got a max win. But in the end, it was just an, a 6-4 win. Um, so I've got, I've got to give credit to Steve. He, this was a really tough game. He really made me sweat and I could tell he was having a lot of tough decisions as well. So it was, it was, it was a really fun kind of tactical ding dong of a game. Yeah. Awesome. So you, you actually other, I mean, like you said, things went in your favor, but there were a couple of tight games already. And yes. so that got you to the end of day one and were the points enough to have you sitting in first at the end of day one. No. So I was, so, so 10, 7th, 6th on 23 points. Um, and I was third, I think. So second was just ahead of me. I think it's like one point ahead, but then the guy in first, um, was on 27, 28, something like that. So he was already opening up a little bit of a lead and I was a bit frustrated because I was like, ah, oh, I could have, I could have got more out of those, those games two and three, you know, if I had a little more time in game two and if I'd had the turn seven on game three, then I, you know, some points went begging. Uh, but I was, you know, I was, I was in touching distance. It was only kind of like four, maybe five points. Um, so yes, yeah, so I was in third. Yeah. Okay. And then on to game four. This is a scenario called Gold Rush, uh, which is again second edition, um, and it's basically uh, it's seven loot counters, uh, but you place them like objectives, so they get placed all over the board. Um, yep. And that's that's so it's very simple. Um, my opponent was Cy Cooper and his Abyssal Dwarves. His list was also filthy, um, which is, you know, half the course, I guess, um, but not necessarily the worst matchup for me. So he had uh, a couple of Berserker troops, two or three, I can't remember. He had some Gargoyles. He had a Mastiff pack. Um, he had a Hexcaster, which is a problem for my Alchemist Cursed Mage. Uh, he had an Ironcaster with Mindfog and Fireball, but none of that really matters because the main attraction was three hordes of Decimators, and three Hellfame. But yep. yeah, okay. Yep. <laughs> no messing about. So a lot of horrible short range shooting and some big beasts to to keep the opponent honest. Yeah, it was a it was a filthy list. And he won his first two games, I think he got maximum points on both. So he 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 absolutely demolished people. 
it was it was quite a tough table again. There were a couple of big hills either side of the middle, so blocking the shooting lanes. But I think Sai he really lost this one in deployment. He put two of his Hellfanes out wide on the right hand side, where there were, there were more tokens on that side. To be fair, um, I'd spread them around as much as I could, you know, put them in the back corners to really kind of break up his his army. And so he was protect- So he had one he was protecting the back corner, and then there were a couple more he could advance towards on that side. And then he put another Hellfane and then a Decimator Horde on the opposite, far opposite, you know, hugging the board edge, sitting on a token. And then he had his other two Decimator Hordes in the middle uh, with the supporting chaff. And he was planning to kind of advance those forward. But because he had the Hellfanes out wide, I was able to kind of focus fire on the Decimator Hordes in the middle, remove one of them. And then there was kind of space for me to kind of work forward up onto the hill or between the hill so that I could then shoot at the other one without cover. So I was able to kind of clear out the middle quite easily. And then I had options to go either way. And I I had decisions to make in terms of kind of judging how much stuff I need to send left, how much stuff to send right in order to to, to win those sides. Because there was only one token right in the middle. Um, But then on my right, his left, he was advancing those Hellfanes forward. And um, I was just like, okay, fine, come towards me. I just picked up the tokens with the Silver Breeze Troop and started running back towards the middle. So I was taking it away from him and he couldn't get to those either. And yeah, and then on the left, because I was able to move stuff into the middle, I got a couple of Blaze Dorks onto the hill and started shooting into his Decimator Ward on the left and just cleared out cleared out most of his stuff, just leaving the Hellfanes. I think he would have been better off if he just stuck one of the Hellfanes in the middle and shoved it forward to pressure my Blaze Stalkers early on. But yeah, so I, I had I had a strong position, but I did have a few problems on a, a, along the way, most of which were dice related. <laughs> uh, I know everyone moans about the dice, but I, yeah, I did have some bad dice this game. Uh, notably, when I double wound one of his decimator hordes, when the alchemist cursed mage was sitting very safely out of their arc and out of arc of of, of the gargoyles and out of arc of everything else, and then double one them so they turned around and shot her off which is kind of an issue as she was needed to deal with those defense six hellfanes and then right at the end i had he had i i hadn't killed the hellfane on the left but i'd killed everything around it and i started putting units into it so that it couldn't then get the token and i picked that up with something else and ran away i had the token in the middle i had two tokens from my back right and i another one on one of the hills he had two tokens in his back left, so my far, far right uh, in forward. Um, Hellfame was on one of them, and I charged it with sharpness dracons in the front. They were hindered, um, and it, but it was already on five damage from Alchemist Curse. So I charged him with uh, the dracons. Didn't kill him, fair enough. He only had enough time to basically back up and then to withdraw, because we were still using withdraw, and then sidestep to pick up the other token. So the Hellfame was sitting on two tokens. And so I had another round of the Sharpness Dracons in the front, and a, and at that point, a regiment in the flank. And I put it up to 14 damage, which is already quite quite poor, and then rolled a three for the nerve. So didn't kill it. And so he had that he had that Hellfame at the end sitting on two, two, two loot tokens, and it finished 5-2 to me, which was another seven points. And yeah, had that Hellfane gone down, it would have been it would have been a ten. So it was that was a really frustrating one. And actually, I, I have to give a shout out a shout out to Sai because like I wasn't I wasn't effing and jeffing at this point. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't that bad, but I was certainly a bit a bit a bit down at the end and having a moan about my my bad luck, um, as we're all prone to do, I think. But so meanwhile, Sai had just 
spent the whole game getting shot off. Like he didn't have that much to do in the game because his decimator mm. words never got forward. But he's still like, oh, it's all right, Chris. Don't worry, you're still in it, you know. And I'm having a grumble there just despite winning. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, he's not getting much of the game experience exactly, himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got to say thank you, Sai. You are a proper gentleman, uh, as you would say. You are a real good guy of Panathor. So thank you, and uh, yeah, uh, apologies for having a grumble. Yeah, and so that would mean with a seven, then that I'm assuming that you like it. it it's not then that game five that you can go and get a small win, right? You probably no. need at least a seven or a. Oh no, 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 more, or, more, because yeah. so. The, so the person who was far ahead leading had lost game four, but now there was... So I was on 30 points after four games and the leader was on 33. So if I'd, okay, if so I'd got those extra... Yeah, 10. yeah. So if I'd got those extra three yeah. against Sai, then I, we'd have been on the same points. But and in fact, I wasn't even in second because there were three people on 30 points and I, I, right. I didn't have the highest kill. So actually, I wasn't on the top table the final round. So I didn't. it wasn't in my hands. Um, so... So yeah, that was that was frustrating because you want to be on there to to yeah. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting thing potentially with the scoring system then, right? So you because at that point you have the opportunity that two people because they'd be in different games could finish on forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas if you've got a, a a scoring system with a wider spread, yeah, of of scores, then that is less likely to happen. I think I think that the the aim of the scoring system is to basically. To do that, though, is, is to have it really close. So there were f- mm. five people, five people going into the final round who could legitimately win it. So there was uh, one person on 33, three people on 30, and one person on 29. So depending how things worked out on the top table, it was possible for any of those five to win. So that's that's good because you want a lot of people going, you know, you want it to stay open and to stay in. Oh, 100% you want it to stay um, open. How would, you, so, how would you feel if you had lost on it? Like, what was the secondary? Attrition? Uh, it was. It was. And if I had uh, scored one point less, I would have not won. In fact, Richard, yeah, who and, came second, who I beat in game two, he had better kills than I did. So he would have, he would have yeah. come first. So if you'd been on less. equal points and yeah. lost of attrition, yeah. how would you feel? Well, I would have been very unhappy. I'd have been, I'd have been happy for my club mates who had won the tournament, of course. Yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm biased, but I think it for the, for for the sake of the scoring system, it's probably a good thing that the person who did win all five games won the tournament. I think uh-huh. you don't want to be in a situation where where um, that's that's not the case. If you see what I mean, but I think it, particularly yeah. at the Masters, right? I, I, yeah, I, I like. Yeah. I, I I I think. Yeah, again, I like different scoring systems, but I wonder if at the Masters, if you had ended up with that scenario, is that what you want at, Samas- at the Masters? But in the end, that's what the committee's for, right, yeah, to decide yeah. on that. So, And in the end, um, it did work out. I mean, obviously yeah. for me, but, but, in, but in, if we're talking about that, that, kind of, that kind of way that the person who wins all their games wins the tournament, then it did work out. Uh, but there were, a couple of, there were a couple of kind of, sorry to go off on a tangent, there were a couple of slightly... Uh, and um, yeah, anomalies within the scoring system. So Sai, who I played in the first game, he won three games, but came nineteenth out of twenty-two. Mm. Um, and then Ed Herzig, who won four and drew one, uh, he came seventh. So there were a couple of outliers who where the scoring system. But I know he had a ridiculous first game where they drew like three-three or something like that. Basically, didn't kill anything and just sat squatted in opposite. Uh, scoring zones but yeah so there were a couple who but by and large it kind of worked out that 
you know your wins roughly reflected where you finished and where you finished in, yeah. the, in the standings. But yeah, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Yeah. It, it could yeah, have gone I think awry. It's, like I, you could debate it all day, right? Yeah. You know, and there's probably no right. There answer. is no perfect system, no. and you just have yeah, to. Exactly. You know, we were all forewarned what it was, and you know, some yeah. of us had a grumble about it, some of us didn't, and in the end, we we you know that's what you play, and, and that's what you play, and, and that's mm. fine. And so, obviously, you know, we're talking to you, so we know we know what happened last. <laughs> Spoiler game, alert! But, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but what yeah. did uh, who did you play? And so, my final final game was against um, a chap called James Mitchell, uh, mm-hmm. who I've never played before, uh, but I have chatted to him before because he he plays elves, so we do kind of chat away and strategize on lists from time to time. And he had uh, palace guard horde, spear horde, dracon horde with striding. Stormwind uh, Cavalry with a Quicksilver Lancer upgrade. Upgrade, sorry. Uh, I forget the item they had. Um, he had two Glade Stalker regiments. Um, he had a Sea Guard regiment. He had a Silver Breeze regiment, and then he had the same hero loadout, um, which was the Alchemist Curse Mage, the King's Champion, and Argus. And the only difference was he had another mage, which had Lightning Bolt and Bane Chant. Only 12 drops, but he also had the scrying gem to kind of even things out. He had good combat. He had a hefty amount of shooting. A bit less than me, but enough that he, it could swing in his favor if he got the first round in. So scenario was push, um, which is my least favorite scenario. I hate push. I just think push should, be, push never, it should be never anywhere near <laughs> a tournament. Um, it's incredibly dull. It's the same game every time. And... I also think it kind of messes with tournament scoring a bit because it's actually quite easy to get big points out of it, even if you lose, because you just walk your own tokens across. Um, yeah, don't like it. Sorry. I've got my soapbox. I've got this opportunity. I'm going to rant about how much I dislike push. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to the important stuff. So James did win choice of sides and first turn, which was a problem. Um However, while there was there was clearly a better side, there was there was definitely a better side in terms of the terrain set up and where there was good cover for the Glade Stalkers and stuff. But that made it very obvious where he was going to deploy, and he also put his Glade Stalkers down quite early. So I I and I knew where he was going to commit, and so he had a nice forest in the middle, a nice piece of uh, cover, for, um, difficult terrain for the Glade Stalkers to sit in. Um, and then next to that, moving towards the edge of the table or on my left, uh, a piece of blocking terrain. But he put all his Dracons, his Stormwind, his Seaguard, his Silveries all over there. So it was quite far to the left. Um, so I just uh, waited, kind of did my usual sort of deployment with stuff on each flank uh, in a bit of cover and then a little bit in the middle. And then put my Glade Stalkers on the right-hand side um, where there were a couple of tr- uh, hills towards the center of the map. And I was able to scout them forward really aggressively. So they were still in cover. And then turn one, they were able to get up onto the hills and shoot lengthways leftwards down down the board. Um, so even though he got first turn, he, he really didn't have many options to shoot at. And and so I was able to start removing his, his infantry hordes, which were in the middle, as soon as they moved out of the cover of the forest. And one got shot off and the other got charged after I kind of enticed it into some glade stalkers. Um, and then it got multi-charged and flanked by Dracons um, and, and obliterated. Um, and also I was able, it was quite important, he had his King's Champion on the right-hand side, so threatening my stuff where I was trying to advance my tokens. But I baited the King's Champion again into a Glade Stalker Regiment to shut down the shooting, for which is fine for a turn. And then I sh- uh, 
killed it with those glaze stalkers and my own king's champion because the king's champion gets duelist so he loves going up against other individuals so if my king's champion's getting that first charge he's going to win that going to win that trade so yeah so i was able to very kind of comprehensively take control of the right hand side and then i had a silver breeze troop that just picked up all three tokens that i had and just wandered off unchallenged but as i said earlier i was three points behind the leader so i really needed to push for a big win and go and go and take james's tokens as well uh in order to 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 win a, a max a maximum score so on the left, James kind of pushed forwards. Uh, he he played a little too aggressively, I think, with his Stormwind. He brought them forward to threaten my Silverbreeze and, and, and other units. But I was able to get, by doing that, he left them out of cover and I was able to get three regiments of shooting into him and the Alchemist Curse and killed off his Stormwind Cavalry. Um, and meanwhile, I'd, he'd shot at my Dracons but didn't waver them. So the regiment charged into his Silverbreeze regiment did quite a bit of damage. Didn't kill them, but enough that they were easily able to be shot off later. So he lost his two cavalry regiments quite cheaply as well. Yeah, I should probably say in fairness to James, actually, seeing as I had a moan about dice in the last game, um, and I'll only ever be fair to a fellow elf player, no one else, of course. But this was the one game where I I clearly got the rub of the green in terms of dice, I think. There weren't any major spikes, but we we, we each had a double one, which was kind of annoying rather than game-breaking. But I felt like my dice were consistently the right side of average whereas his role is just a bit below and over the course of the game that adds up he also had a problem on his on his strong side on the left um because he had a piece of blocking terrain there and he uh, i forgot to mention at the beginning actually so this the it's a push scenario but you had to place your three tokens on separate units you couldn't put them all on the same one and he had put two of them on units that were kind of inside of the blocking terrain as in closer to the center so they had to advance into the center the only unit which had a token uh, which was able to kind of march down the flank was the sea guard. So they were relatively safe, but the other two had to come in. Uh, and because I'd been able to remove quite a lot of his stuff fairly early without losing too much of my own, I had the advantage in terms of numbers for trading when we both kind of swung around into the center. Um, I outgunned his glade stalkers and then I pinned down his dracons with the king's champion. Uh, before charging in with everything else and just kind of finishing it all off. And that left the Dracons, my Dracons, after they killed his Dracons, sitting on two tokens across the halfway line. I'd got my three across, and I'd also picked up the middle one with Glaze Stalkers, then he had the sil- his Sea Guard had come across to my half of the table. So it was 6-1 on the tokens. And under the scoring system, that was actually enough for a max win. So I, I, because I killed everything bar the sea guards and mage and Argus. So it was enough. He got a couple of points out of it as well. So it wasn't too, wasn't as bad for him, but yeah, I got, I got a max win out of that one. So that was, that was really, really good. Okay. And I, I'm sure you were heading into like turn five, six, you were well, well aware of that was on the table, a max win. Um, yeah, no, it was, or? I still need to, I, I, I felt like I was in a good position to get it, but I still had to. There was still a couple of, you know, getting enough shots on stuff to kill it the turn so I could then move the unit onto it rather than having to, you know, charge in with Silver Breeze or something soft like that. Mm. But, but no, I felt like I was in a good position. I, I felt like I had good control of the scenario from early on, but in order to get all of them, um, it came down to kind of... I think I had the tokens on turn six, so I, I didn't need the turn seven, and the turn seven was just kind of killing a couple more things. Um, but... Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a given. And James is a James. 
yeah, he's an elf player. He's obviously a man of taste and discerning <laughs> and talent and good looks. Um, anyway, I could go on, but no, no, he, he's a really good player. Um, he's done, he's, he's done well uh, at tournaments over the last year. Um, and he knows the elves very, very well. And elves is a, is a, the mirror match is quite a tough one for elves. It's one of the, one of the things that it's quite good at countering the list. So I was, I was very concerned going into this one. Um, and so I was, you, I, I was not, yeah, I was not expecting to get, to get a max win out of it. So I was, I was really pleased with that result. Mm. And of course, then that makes you, uh, as you mentioned and or alluded to, the UK master by one point. Squeaked it. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. close. It was myself and then three people one point behind. So one so person, congr- one person yeah. got one point behind the leader and didn't even get a podium, which was a bit rough. But yeah, it yeah, was very, right. very close. And were you the only one that went five and out? Uh Yes. Yes. Everyone else. Yeah. Looked, I mean, because theoretically with game. that, yeah. With, yeah, I mean, theoretically with... Um, that many people, there should only be one across five games. Correct. From there. Correct. Um, but um, yeah, okay. So as you know, obviously the best player there won. Well, yeah, your, your words <laughs> not mine, Matt. Your words not mine. Uh, uh, you know, well, there were a lot. Um, there are a lot of very good players there. It was <laughs> these things. I mean, you know, obviously it's it's lovely to win, but the, these things always come down. There's so many factors beyond what happens on the table. It's all about matchup and you know, terrain, some, getting the right scenario against the right opponent. There's so many things that go into it. You just have to get those little bits of luck uh, as you as you go on. Um, I mean, you know, I was I was saying, you know, I was unfortunate to to not beat Sai better in round four. But then, had I been on top table, maybe we would have had an incredibly close, low scoring game, and neither of us would have won. You know, and and then yeah. and someone else jumps you. So. So in the end, it did work out, and and that's that's what you need. You need a little bit of good luck, and um, yeah, things to shine on you to to work. Well, look, Chris, I uh, congratulations on your win, and I want to thank you for giving up your time to come on and you know tell the world about how good you are and how good elves are. Oh, um, <laughs> you'd have me on more often. I happily do that every week, <laughs> and and you know and how bad push is. Oh. So. Um, we yeah, can spend a whole episode at, on that. I, yeah. yeah. I, at, at the end of each show, we like to do any shout-outs that might need to happen. Do you have anything Yeah, I, I, I Two, two shout-outs. Um, firstly, to uh, Jan, who ran the Masters tournament. I, she deserves a lot of credit for, for, for organising that, kind of managing a bunch of very competitive people who are all in her ear about, including myself, about, you know, this, that and the other. And I mean, she's a very experienced TO. She knows what she's doing, Jan, but she was on her own. I, I mean, really, she did everything. She's, normally, she does stuff with her partner, Bob, but he couldn't make it that weekend. I think he had some work thing or something like that. Um, so she was literally doing everything and um, she did a fantastic job. And I know she's got a lot on just kind of generally at the moment as well. So she really did. I, I did want to say thank you to her publicly and i'm sure everyone else who was there would agree she did a great job so thank you jan and then the other one this is going to sound a bit sappy but i do have to say thank you to my wife uh he says sheepishly because um i almost didn't make she's it sitting behind you no she's no no no. she's in the other room she's made herself <laughs> scarce so I, I promise i'm not being held hostage as i say this. i know i turned off the video but no i am um, mm. I assure you. No, the reason is, so my wife is Chinese and the Masters fell on the weekend of Chinese New Year. 
Uh, yeah, because oh, of course, because it was the same weekend as Clash of Kings for us, and we yes. lost a couple of Chinese. Yes, yeah. and you know, mm-hmm. if you get your your ducks in order in advance and organise these things, maybe it's okay. But I, when I booked my ticket, when I booked my hotel, I completely forgot about that. And we mm-hmm. talked about it, and she was like, "Yeah, Chinese New Year's the end of January." I was like, "Okay, that's fine." She meant late January, and then mm-hmm. the week before, we were having a, just having a chat, and she was like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna order in some stuff for." some food in for Chinese New Year next week. So is there anything you want in particular? And, you know, my jaw hits the floor and I go, what, next week? Sorry. Um, I thought it was the week after. And, I mean, I had told her about the tournament. I'd mentioned it earlier, but neither of us had just clicked that it was the same one. And, yeah, so there were there were um, tense diplomatic negotiations held, long negotiations, um, and eventually... The, the compromise was that she uh, came along with me. So she had to endure about three hours in the car with a bunch of nerds talking about Kings of War. <laughs> and then I, I booked us a, a Chinese restaurant for, for Saturday night. We went out and, and, and she kind of amused herself for a day and a half in Nottingham. Uh, but I, yep. yeah, I do need to say thank you because she's, she's very understanding. I mean, you know, I do a lot of tournaments, fine. But that one really almost, <laughs> that, was a, that was a cock up by me. So Gabby, thank you very much for being so understanding. Yeah. I do. I do well, and that. and like honestly, it's a big deal. I think as um, Westerners, it's something we don't really comprehend, right? We yeah. don't like the closest thing is probably Christmas. That yeah, it is. It is basically right. it is basically but, like Christmas. It's a family. But, um, it's about being with family. So it's and you yeah. know she's over here. Her family are back in China mostly. So it's yeah, it's mm. it's it's a big deal. Um, but I think you ask a lot of Westerners like, would you skip Christmas? And they probably go, yeah, you know what, I probably would. Yeah, <laughs> or or like you want to spend it, or do you want to spend it alone this year? And they go, yeah, I could cop that, but it, it's just not the same for Chinese yeah, yeah, New yeah. Year, is it? No, so no, it's it's, no, it's no, a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, you're so right. That is a big deal. Um, and I, I'm sure my opponents. Yeah, I'm sure my opponents would have been very happy if she'd been more of a ball buster and I hadn't made it. But um, yeah, just just squeeze that one in. Mm, yeah. Oh well. Thanks, Gabby. And for me on the on the shout outs, um, just particularly for those Australians listening, keep uh, jumping on the Australian Slow Grow, um, primarily a participation event. Um, so let's get that going. And we're starting to see events get underway for the year. So uh, check out your local groups for what events are happening. Uh, and shortly we will probably have our master's pack released for towards the end of the year. But yeah, other than that, uh, Chris, would you like to take us out for the evening? Sure. Um, so until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15 or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.